Since the early 20th century, remarkable progress has been made in preventing death from infectious disease. But as COVID-19 has made clear, emerging infectious diseases present important challenges for global health security. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Christopher Elias, President of the Global Development Program at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. As part of the journal series in honor of the 50th anniversary of the Institute of Medicine, now called the National Academy of Medicine, Dr. Elias has co-authored a perspective article about progress in containing infectious disease and the steps we need to prevent and respond to emerging threats. Dr. Elias, in your article, you describe the pattern of declining deaths from infectious disease, first in high-income countries, then in low- and middle-income countries. What's contributed to these reductions in various regions? There has been remarkable progress in global health. As we outlined in the article, the reduction in infectious diseases as a cause of death in the U.S. was quite dramatic over the 20th century. More recently, in developing countries, we've seen similar progress. As the immunization rate of children went up to over 80%, we saw a significant decline in under five child mortality, dropping by 50% as we increased the immunization rate. We've similarly seen the deaths from malaria decrease by 60% and a significant drop in HIV infection and diseases like polio are on the brink of eradication. And a lot of that's been due to improvements in the basic health systems, the primary health care, the treatment of infection, the development of safe and effective vaccines, as well as improved multilateral partnerships with the formation of the Global Alliance for Vaccines and Immunization, the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, TB, and Malaria, and, and contributions from things like the President's Malaria Initiative and the PEPFAR program. So in recent decades, there's been increased concern about previously isolated zoonotic pathogens that are infecting humans and causing outbreaks. What conditions have made humans more vulnerable to pandemics than we were in previous generations? I think a lot of the things that have actually contributed to progress in terms of economic growth and connectivity of the world, improvements in trade and transport, the number of people traveling from one part of the world to another for a variety of reasons, both business and pleasure, have contributed to a much more connected world where things move much, much faster than they did before. And so some of those same things have become risk factors for emerging infections to spread quickly when they cross over, as many of them do from zoonotic sources. You describe in your article how the 2014-2016 Ebola virus outbreak in West Africa led to various steps that were intended to prevent future outbreaks. Clearly not all of those steps have succeeded, but which of them have had meaningful effects? Well, I think one of the most important was the creation of the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations, known as CEPI, which was launched in 2017 at the World Economic Forum in Davos. It had an approach to develop some just-in-case vaccines against pathogens that we knew existed, like Ebola, the Nipah virus, the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, and SARS-CoV-1. It also invested in the development of platforms that could be rapidly deployed against previously unknown pathogens. And that's where some of their efforts to advance the messenger RNA platform and some other DNA constructs have been useful for those existing infections, and as we've seen with COVID-19, have been applied uh, quickly for the development of vaccines against a new or previously unknown emergent infection. So even after the increase in public attention, political will that was driven by the Ebola outbreak, 
And even given, as you say, some advances such as the mRNA vaccines, why was the world still so unprepared to respond to the COVID-19 emergency? As I think we see in many areas of public health and medicine, it's very hard to make the case for investing in prevention when what you're trying to prevent is highly unknown. And so one of the other developments after the Ebola crisis five or six years ago was the World Health Organization and the World Bank formed the Global Preparedness Monitoring Board. And that board put out its first report in September of 2019, a report called A World at Risk, where there was actually a a specific chapter highlighting how unprepared the world was for an emergent respiratory pathogen. And then just five months later, we saw the emergence of COVID-19. Investing in preparedness and prevention is challenging. And the world has seen a cycle of panic and neglect where in the face of an acute crisis, there's investment. But then as the crisis subsides, the world sinks back into a more complacent position. I'm hoping that's going to be different following the COVID-19 pandemic. So in fact, you say in your article that the incidence of COVID-19 spiked when national leaders ignored public health guidance and residents proved unwilling to adapt their behavior to reduce the risk of transmission. This is a political rather than a medical question, but is it possible to anticipate and head off that type of response to emerging threats? It's very hard. I mean, I think the key lesson is that leadership matters and that science matters as well. Ironically, in the Global Health Security Index that was published by Johns Hopkins University back in 2019, they actually ranked how well prepared on that index countries were. And The two most prepared countries, the United States and the UK, have seen some of the worst per capita mortality rates from the COVID-19 pandemic. And that's why we say in our article that leaders need to follow the science and communities and individuals need to be able to change their behavior in light of that science. And where that hasn't happened, even countries that on paper were very well prepared didn't do very well in the face of this pandemic. You argue in your article for the importance of involving stakeholders outside the health sector in this preparedness for pandemics. So what would that kind of strategy look like? Who'd be involved? How much would it cost? How would it happen? Right now, there's a lot of efforts underway to figure out with some precision how much things might cost. There are a couple of estimates already. I mean, at a general sense, you can say you would have to spend billions to save trillions. If you look at the cost of the response to COVID-19 in terms of countries having to invest in safety nets for unemployed and suffer from the significant hit to economic growth, interruption of trade and travel, et cetera. We've seen trillion dollar effects of this pandemic, whereas billions of dollars of investments may have helped us to be better prepared. The Global Preparedness Monitoring Board has estimated that it would cost about $5 per person per year on an ongoing basis to be well prepared. There are a number of high-level panels and commissions underway right now to come up with more precise estimates. And the reason we say it has to go beyond the health sector in our article is that the health sector is often not well financed, particularly in lower and middle-income countries. So we're going to need to bring in the finance ministers and ultimately the heads of state and congresses and parliaments to understand that investing in a strong preparedness system for emerging infections is actually a smart investment in the security of their nations, both from an economic point of view as well as from a health point of view. 
So finally, and given what you've just said, how moving forward can policymakers, researchers, funders promote more cooperation among countries to prevent and respond to these emerging diseases? I think there are several different ways that that could be seen. One of them is just to promote better information sharing so that we are able to recognize emergent infections when they've just emerged and before they become large problems. One of the key things in terms of response to emergent infections is acting early and acting fast can prevent the kind of widespread infections that then cost many, many billions of dollars in many, many countries. And so early efforts to improve international collaboration, the enforcement of the international health regulations, which all the member states of the World Health Assembly have agreed to, the sharing of specimens and sequences so that all of science can be brought to bear in solving these emergent crises and producing effective countermeasures as soon as possible is one of the key elements for that response. I think also greater awareness of the risks of, if you will, unpredictable and relatively rare events that have huge impact, like the COVID-19 pandemic, so that we can break this cycle of panic and neglect is another element of a stronger international collaboration. Thank you, Dr. Elias.